Beauty 4.0, a podcast by Cosmetics Design Europe, brainstorming opportunities in tech and cutting-edge innovation for an industry that can thrive. In this second episode, we speak with Simon Hathaway, EMEA Managing Director at Shopper Insights and Retail Strategy Agency Outform, about what the future of beauty retail might look like and how cutting-edge technologies can play into this. Get ready for in-depth insight on how COVID-19 has shaped consumer expectations and everything you need to know on QR codes, digital handshakes and subscription promise. Hi, Simon. Thank you so much for joining our podcast today. Thank you. Now, beauty retail faced significant disruption last year with all the widespread store closures due to COVID-19 across the EMEA region. Airport channels were also hit hard. So what do you think beauty learned from this upheaval? Well, I think we had a, a highly personal, very tactile industry up until the first lockdown. And I say that as somebody sitting in the UK, somebody now into my third lockdown, that's had to massively, very quickly transform to bring in kind of new technologies and new ways of working and understanding what life would look like without the reliance on physical retail. Um, when when you look at it and you think that perhaps as much as 30% of the physical retail sort of beauty industry had to shut down as a result of what's going on, it's it's a big chunk, uh, and that's before a, a sort of a mass, massive pivot, particularly towards technologies. Yeah, and that pivot also moved very much online, didn't it? The the e-commerce boom that we saw was significant. Absolutely, and and obviously across the whole of retail, we've seen, you know, in some cases, I've seen numbers like nine times the level of growth in e-commerce. So we're we're seeing a massive shift uh, towards e-commerce, and that's a real challenge for the beauty industry, where so much of it had been in store, and the opportunity to demo and to do those things has been a big, big challenge because you know not everybody was ready to get in there. Lots of people were looking at things like AR and, and those sort of solutions which we've been looking at online, but suddenly those became really front and centre of, of much of the new shopping experience. How easy, though, is it for beauty brands and beauty retailers to get e-commerce right? I think, in, obviously, in terms of, of how you do the actual operation, I mean, that is now relatively straightforward. The, the challenge is, is basically the confidence of the consumer to buy and also the power of things like new. You know, what was wonderful when you used to walk through airport retail or, or even in, in some of the big department stores that you might have seen across and, and the big beauty stores. There was, there was this like magical moment of, of new and trying things on and it, and it was this big, almost social occasion. Um, and that moment has gone. So, you know, I haven't seen the numbers yet, but I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what's out there in terms of, you know, just replication, if you like, of regime buying versus actually finding new beauty regimes going through the, you know, different types of lipstick, all those things like color and, and all those things that would have been done uh, are no longer there. So building out the confidence for the, for the shopper to buy into those, I think, has been the big challenge. What we've seen, of course, is that many of those retailers and particularly influencers are already starting to pop up in terms of people who could do tutorials and things like that. And I think one of the big areas that we've learned is that perhaps a lot of that has now gone back to brands and to retailers where they've needed, uh, consumers have needed the confidence to buy into these products and they've been more trusting perhaps of the brands than they have been of influencers. 
So for me, that's quite uh, quite interesting evolution, and it starts to kind of show about how some of those retailers uh, particularly can start to do kind of uh, demos and things online that they might have, people originally might have gone into store to do. That's interesting. Do you think that um, those brands will have to do a lot of that via social media channels as consumers transition from influencers to brands or not necessarily? Well, I think if you look, um, I think we'll see both. I think the point will be in the future, who do you trust to do this properly? And we've obviously had a lot of areas where people are learning. I mean, if you take um, somebody like, say, Superdrug in the UK, who've recently put TikTok into their stores, They've also got their very strong online community of their own where people are sharing uh, experiences and, and, and talking about beauty products. So you've got that and that potentially could be expanded on a sort of as a community based selling solution in a bigger area. But across the, the whole of retail, you've now got this kind of what we might call go in store type mentality where almost every product where there was historically a retail environment, you can now go in and potentially talk to a real human being and have a one to one consultation like you're buying a sofa or buying lipstick, those are things that are now able to be done. And particularly when we're going to lockdown, we're starting to see that. Uh, perhaps what's most interesting is that certainly from an outform perspective, we've now built a number of what we might call dark stores, which are environments designed specifically for retailers and brands to do live demos, live consultations on product that they would have normally done in store. But because of where we are and what's actually happened, and we now have the opportunity for people to have those sort of appointments online. Uh, and yes, it's not real. You, you can't necessarily see yourself. And, uh, but there are now technologies, which I think we'll see in the next phase, where we will be able to show how that will look on an individual. You know, we've already seen AR. We, we have our own solutions for showing what a lipstick might look on somebody's lips. And we'll start to see more and more of those being built into that retail experience. Because beauty is inherently about senses, touch, feel and smell. So what types of technologies and platforms are available to perhaps try and match that in a digital context? Well, I think, I mean, AR is obviously the biggest one that's that's available. And, you know, just going back to sort of Snapchat filters, some levels of makeup and, and things like lipstick and hair color are, are relatively easy to do. So the look of things can be done. Of course, touch and particularly smell are very, very difficult right now. And I think it's going to be interesting, particularly with fragrance, to understand how people can start to communicate online what something actually smells like. I certainly you know, don't really know what a top note is going to be. So I think that is a particular, a particular challenge going forward because those things are almost impossible to do across an online environment. Yeah. And what's interesting now as well as the EMEA region has seen various lockdowns and other countries coming out of lockdown is that brands and retailers are now having to more than ever juggle presence between online and in store. So from your perspective, Simon, what sort of technology and platforms do you think will enable brands and retailers to do this better moving forward? Well, I think for a long time, you know, we've been talking about omni-channel and what's actually happened as a result of the, of the COVID pandemic is that's been accelerated. The big thing behind that and perhaps, you know, the, one of the challenges has been that what we would have talked about three or four years ago as showroom, which was seen as a very big negative, is now become a real reality for physical retail. But we're moving, if you like, from a, a position of talking about online and offline as separate channels to understanding that they are part of the same purchase journey. 
So without form, we talk about unified commerce, and we're particularly looking at technologies around what we might talk about as digital handshakes that enable us to understand the kind of single customer view through online and offline. And those digital handshakes in store enable us to connect somebody with a much wider kind of retailing ecosystem. And it enables us to put some sort of level of attribution to the value of the store beyond simply the sale. Um, and it also helps us then to kind of shape what experiences and what knowledge we want about what somebody wants from the store experience. Um, you know, that could be the fact, you know, if we talk about the fragrance, that they really do need to smell before they buy. But in that new kind of unified commerce model, what might have been the traditional point of sale is not necessarily going to be the point of transaction going forward. And so we really need to think about the experiences that are going to do that. The one thing that I think is most I feel like almost ironic about, about the COVID-19 is that the QR code, which we were all talking about 10 years ago as one of the futures of retail and building out marketing communications, all those things, has been completely resurrected by COVID-19. And you know, we now, most of us now, if you go into a restaurant, you have to scan a QR code to get the menu. Uh, what that means, though, is that from a human behavior point of view, when you see a QR code in a location, you know, for example, in store, you're very likely to connect with that. So as I look at, um, you know, particularly in, in beauty retail, particularly around things, the opportunity to use the QR code to connect with an experience is absolutely there. And we've already done work where we, because of the, the need to have touchless retail, because of, of, of cleanliness, where we can ask somebody else's device to control an experience in store. But perhaps the more exciting bit about that is that in that approval process, there is a moment where at its biggest end, you can ask for a full data collection. And that means you can connect somebody's email address or something in your single customer view software, and you can start to build your profile of that customer, their buying habits, what the role of the physical store is in that journey. But at the smallest level, you can drop a cookie and then you can plan in your retargeting. So we might know that somebody's tried a certain lipstick or they've engaged in a certain experience in store and then we can retarget them from the store environment with advertising, whether that's through Insta or TikTok or whatever, through the entire journey. So we're going to start to see that sort of technology coming in and we're building up this kind of unified commerce. Because most of the experiences we will build will we'll have that level of uh, the, the digital handshake, uh, which connects the physical world and the digital world. You mentioned an important word there for me, data, um, which we have heard a lot recently. But certainly from my perspective, the problem seems to be that brands and retailers are compiling so much data and not actually necessarily doing much with it or, or using it to its full potential. Would you say that that's a fair assessment and will that change? I mean, absolutely everything we can, you know, we're all building huge amounts of data and, you know, every single time we create any kind of, we put any sort of experience into store, any sort of interaction, it's another data point. And so you're right, there is so much opportunity for so much data. I think the point is that most retailers, particularly and increasingly brands, are trying to build out a single customer view. And that is really the key, big, important moment. So they can start to understand and own that. And, and they also, you know, then making sure that they, they, you use the data in the right way to understand uh, what is the right way to communicate and build a relationship with your customer going forward. What we're finding is that there is, uh, in terms of how customers give you data, that in itself is becoming a transaction. So we generally think about transactions being all around basically a financial interaction. 
but actually them giving you data is, is a similar level of transaction. They're entrusting you with that data point and they want something in return. Most of the time that's a level of personalization and we can clearly see this spectrum whereby the amount of data they're prepared to give you is linked to the, the amount of uh, personalization you'd get, they would get in return and there's an expectation building around that. And if you become too creepy in the way that you use that data, then obviously they'll t they will switch off and walk away. So I think that, that is the piece that is important for me uh, with the use of that data is that brands and retailers can very quickly get to that to understand the sensitivity of their customer base in terms of what they should be using to build out that personalized experience. Because so I think that more and more that's going to be important. And if you look at the next level of technology and health and beauty around personalization in the product range, that's also going to be around personalized beauty regimes and all those things. So that is really important that they start to build not only the sales data around that, but also the, you know, the buying pattern so they can start to build out those more personalized beauty opportunities as the product evolution comes as well. Um, how have EMEA consumers responded to this increase in digital retail engagement, you know, like the likes of the QR codes and data exchange, virtual try-ons, tutorials? Are they excited about it, dubious? What's going on from a consumer standpoint? Well, I think we're going through a big shift and, you know, it seems like the AR tron for the lipstick, uh, that's probably been our most Instagrammable experience that we've ever created at Outform because people just think it's great and it's new. Um, I think it's going to become more and more real, right? I mean, there mm. are more, so many brands now having virtual changing rooms and things like that online that it will just become the norm and those will start to reset expectations. And I think if you want a really great example of that adoption, just look at the QR code, which most people would have ignored and gone, oh, what's that strange thing? And now it suddenly signifies something just because of apps like in here in the UK, the NHS app. So, so many people have had to use those technologies now. They've become part of day-to-day -day life. Yeah. Um, and we'll just see that very quickly being adopted and they'll become more and more the norm as people are, are looking at ways and how they shop and also as, as retailers see the value of them in terms of improving their costs, particularly I mean, if you only have to look at fit guides on most of the fashion sites to understand how important it is that those are in terms of, of, of reducing returns. So those sort of things I think will start to grow. The challenge is going to be is that we are kind of living in, you know, we talk about being in an experience economy. We're now living in an expectation economy. And sort of every time you download a new app or you create a new experience or you go into a new store, it resets your expectations of everybody else. So we're in this kind of going to be in this, world where we've, you know, COVID-19 has massively turbocharged that digital experience and therefore keeping up with the expectations of customers are going to be really, really tough. I mean, you look at what's happening now with a lot of people moving, you know, everybody at the moment is wanting to get to this um, digital handshake and, uh, you know, we're starting to see more and more brands having kind of apps which have got, you know, you can buy online in the app, but you can also have in-store mode. So that sort of data where you're going to expect to have your purchase history available to the person in store as well as you be able to see it online so that you can go back and, you know, all the things like subscription models that are going to come through is going to start to be the basic expectation. So if you go back to the data conversation we just had, having the single customer view platform behind all of that is going to be absolutely critical. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, starting to build out of that opportunities and things like recognition so that people start to be having a more personal experience when they get into the store will become important, even if it's on the basics of age or color in terms of uh, feeding uh, content through to screens so that are relevant advertising, so you feel more as if you're part of that environment and it's relevant to you. 
if you look at what's happening with, uh, I mentioned Superdrug already, putting um, TikTok into their stores. We're doing work where we're putting Instagram feeds into doors so that you've got something which feels like the, you know, the environment is relevant to you and you've got that continuity of content uh, across those behaviours of searching, shopping and sharing that we think are so important now for, for consumers going forward. Now, beauty's done lots in these last few months in terms of uh, digital technologies and increasing engagement for consumers. But I'm curious to find out if you've identified any technology in other industries that you think could perhaps be interesting for beauty to consider in the future. Oh, well, I've, I mean, obviously, there's a huge amount of stuff. Uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a massive area for so many things going on at the moment with technologies. That you could certainly that's a pretty a pretty big question i think uh for me a lot of stuff around the way that we are uh looking at towards kind of machine learning um i think is, is going to be fascinating particularly around personalization also if you look at the kind of the digitalization of of industry and that kind of uh i i think we'll see some more and more of that in in terms of beauty i look at particularly digital modeling and and how that could feed through in terms of sort of things like round simulation and areas where those opportunities to take the virtual demo into the next next uh, generation would be would be absolutely fascinating and i wondered if you could perhaps describe what you think the future of beauty retail will look like in the next 3 to 5 years I think uh, the future beauty retail for me is going to be a, a sort of a unified commerce approach where we'll understand that, you know, there's no longer the right way to measure in-store sales versus online sales, but we'll have a completely kind of fluid movement of online environments, social channels and physical stores all working seamlessly together. It's likely as part of that, the physical store will become more and more about experience more and more about new and more and more of a destination that people want to go to. Pre-COVID, we had lots of people going out, you know, it was almost a social trip to go to the store and do beauty shopping together. That ritual, I think, will return, but it might not be linked as much to the sale as it, as it has been in the past. There's more and more parts of, uh, of what we look at go, on, go online and, and customers increasingly become more and more confident buying beauty online. At the same time, I think we'll see the, the rise of more and more subscription models, and obviously behind that, an awful lot of work or, uh, an area around uh, personalization of product offerings as we get more and more data and there's the opportunity to kind of create more and more bespoke offerings. Do you think that might look different between branded uh, sort of own brand stores and multi-brand stores? Obviously, there's going to be, there'll be an interesting play there because I think, you know, obviously we've got some brands branded retailers, let's call them, that we trust in health and beauty. And those will still continue to own that. I think there'll be, it's an interesting one to see if we'll see more and more branded stores pop up. I think the Mac store in Liverpool is really interesting, right? So you know, they've become very tech-focused. There's a huge amount of touchless retail in there. All those things I think will continue. But I think, I mean, it's a, it's a wider conversation across the whole of retail about what power the brands will have to create more, let's call them showrooms, as opposed to stores or experience centers versus the kind of traditional multi-retailer model. Um, you just look at the challenges that the department store, which has been such a traditional space across most of EMEA to, to buy health and beauty, they've, been, they've really struggled through COVID and that business model is challenged. So where there's been a destination where nearly all of those other brands have been able to have a kind of shop-in-shop -shop solution, I think you know, if that model is, is challenged, yes, there could be a different way of looking at it. And that might force some of the big brands to either have destination stores or potentially take up a different business model altogether. 
De- definitely one to watch, isn't it? Yeah. What about um, your thoughts on tech-led beauty offerings? Are there more opportunities in the prestige and luxury space or mass beauty? Uh, I'm keen to work out whether there's a difference. I'm not sure there is a huge difference. I think, um, you know, we've seen across most of retail the, pe- the way that people are happy to mix prestige and mass consumer brandings together. Um, I think the point will be, what is the relevant channel for you? You've only got to look at the way that, I mean, brands like Gucci are now selling across e-commerce in ways, in very similar ways to other more traditional retailers. And they're using social platforms in the same way to realize that to connect with the new audiences, you just need to be in the right place. So I think we'll start to see, you know, obviously the, the way that that experience is managed might feel quite different and the number of touches that you might get involved with and the way that they make you feel around the total experience might vary. But behind it all, arguably the same technology will exist. And I think that's going to be quite an interesting thing because a lot of the technologies, if you, you know, if you were to look at, for example, taking Instagram into store, anybody can do that, but it's the quality of the content in that that will be impactful. And the same goes for TikTok and any other of the platforms that emerge. So, yeah, I think we're uh, we're starting to see kind of mergers on that. And, yes, some of the more mass market stuff, you know, you might have got more at the FMCG end, if you like, of health and beauty versus the pure luck will probably, in terms of tone of voice, be different. But a lot of the things that we look at behind that will be very similar. Yeah. One interesting aspect for me when we're looking at Beauty 4.0's future between prestige and mass is the rise of at-home devices and, you know, skin cream distributors that can offer you personalized formulations at home. Now, the upfront costs of these are pretty high, much higher than what the average mass beauty consumer is used to spending. Um, And certainly the fragrance industry is talking a lot about this at-home fragrance distribution as a future opportunity. Do you think that that could uh, work on a mass level, these at-home devices? Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of those now coming in which are very high end and expensive to buy. But with scale, those costs will come down. And I also suspect there'll be new business models that work. If you just look at, and I'm going to draw a ridiculous analogy, but if you look at the cost of ownership of a luxury car right now, and that's not measured on a on, on the fact that it might have cost you thousands to buy. It's measured on the monthly cost. So those might come with non-traditional retail models like subscription, like leasing, which enable the kind of the, the core machine, if you like, or device to be owned in a different way. And the money will be made in the subscription of the, of the fragrances or, or the moisturizer, whatever it is, coming uh, being sent to you on a regular basis. Mm. So I think there'll be different business models that emerge as that, as that market evolves. Yeah, interesting. Um, what would your key message be then, Simon, to beauty brands and retailers looking to try and grow in today's, we can't really call it a post-COVID world, but, uh, you know, post-2020 world, let's say? Well, I think we have to build for tomorrow and not for today. Uh, and you need to understand that your customers' expectations are being uh, reset with every click and every visit. And therefore, you've got to make sure that you are very relevant to that need and that you are pushing innovation Innovation is at that, you know, I say innovation, but making sure you can scale the new and really make sure that you're, you're relevant to your customer, but certainly designed for the future in ways that props make sense now.
Brilliant. Well, look, thank you so much for taking time and providing all your insights, Simon. It's been really interesting. And this is certainly going to be a very important space to watch, I think, moving forward. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Well, that's all from us at Beauty 4.0, a podcast by Cosmetics Design Europe, bringing you everything you need to know about tech and innovation advances in the field.